The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Today we travel back to the iceberg to take a look at a classic conspiracy. Did crocodile hunter Steve Irwin fake his death? The answer won't surprise you, but it's a little weird. And then we travel to Turmekistan to look at a bizarre story that crosses the border between poltergeist and UFO. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. We got Veronica running co-host duties again today. Veronica the Haunted Doll. I think she's going to be here for the rest of the week. And then let's give a shout out to our newest Patreon supporter, Claire Gorman. Claire, thank you so much for supporting the show. Totally love it. You're going to be our captain this episode, our pilot, our driver, whatever vehicle we take, you're in charge of. If you can't support the Patreon, totally understand. Just help get the word out about the show. That really helps out a lot as well. I recently got a new review from Josh Ridge. Really, really appreciate that. And Church Going Mule finally got one of his friends to listen to the podcast. The episode they first listened to was the disgusting episode about the person smoking meth and melting. I've actually gotten a couple, I haven't addressed this, a couple people have emailed me and said, that's the first episode I couldn't finish. A lot of you guys actually emailed me on that. So, job well done to myself, eh? That episode is pretty disgusting. But we're not going to talk about disgusting stuff today. We are going to have an investigation into an old-timey conspiracy. So, so, Claire, let's go ahead and toss you an oar for the Dead Rabbit Rowboat. And we're going to row all the way from Oregon. We're headed down to Australia. <laughs> That's why you paid for the Patreon, so you can work your upper body strength. Ugh! Uh, and we're going down, we go down to Australia. So the reason why we're here, we're walking around. We see a giant bronze statue of crocodile hunter Steve Irwin. It's this giant statue of him. He has a crocodile. He's like, get in headlock. Did he love cro- I never saw an episode of that show. I'm assuming I'm assuming the show wasn't him like actually like fighting crocodiles. I think he just like jumped out and goes, Crikey, there's a crocodile. And there's like a photo of a crocodile. It's <laughs> just a photo. He's not even live. He's holding up an 8x10. It was like a kid's show, right? Where he was like on Saturday mornings or something like that. I guess I could have done my research for it. I remember it was popular. but Maybe not a kid's show, but it was just like, look at a wallaby. And then there's just like a, a wallaby walking by. And he's like, crikey. And then it's just 22 minutes of him staring at the camera. I knew it was super popular, but I, he wasn't actually hunting and beating people up. Or animals. But they were looking at this bronze statue. He's not choking the alligator. He's giving it a hug. Steve Irwin, if you don't know. Apparently, I don't know anything about him either. Super famous adventurer slash zoo owner slash uh, conserve... Con- uh, what's those people who conserve stuff? Um, environmentalist. I'll use that word because I know how to pronounce it. Conservator? Conservatory? I don't know. Anyways, he was a dude who liked the environment. He was a dude who wasn't like blowing these animals away. He was, like, learning about him. I probably could have researched that. But anyways, we're going back to the iceberg, because on the conspiracy theory iceberg, we have the 
listing, Steve Irwin faked his death. Now, that is so common with celebrity celebrity deaths that they're fake. There's some interesting information to this one. So what happened was back in 2006, September 4th, 2006, Steve Irwin was filming himself swimming in the water. And makes it sound like he makes it sound like he's in the backyard. He was like in the middle of nowhere. He's like in a wilderness expedition. He's swimming in the water, and a stingray swims by him, and then sticks him with the stinger like right in the heart. And then I guess it like hit him like twenty times. I always thought that it just stabbed him, and he's like, oh. But no, apparently it just like bam, 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 bam. I mean, not to get gruesome or anything like that, but it was a pretty grievous injury. So they put him on a, a rescue boat, and they were going out to their cruise ship where they had like all their medical supplies and everything like that. And they filmed the whole thing. That was one of the rules that Steve Irwin had. You film everything. Because he had been in dicey situations before, and you figure he's going to make it out of this one as well. But he doesn't. And the footage is not immediately destroyed, but at this point, people believe the footage doesn't exist. There were scientists saying, what's a stingray attacks are so rare on humans. We'd like to analyze that footage. But that, yeah, maybe, but you might also just be some weirdo who wants to watch it. So the family never released the footage, and I'm sure at this point they've destroyed it, which is probably good. I mean, it is basically a man getting killed. But because there was no footage of it, the rumors started. And honestly, if there was footage of it, the rumors would start, because this usually happens with celebrity deaths. People started to think that he had faked his death. So that happened back in 2006. By 2007, by December 17th, 2007, we started to see conspiracy theories pop up. They may have been around before, but this was the earliest one I could find. The conspiracy theory at first was this. In December 17th, 2007, this conspiracy theory pops up. And basically, the conspiracy theory is that Steve Irwin Zoo was facing financial hardships. He's like, oh... I, crikey, where am I going to spend all this money? He's like, I can feed the ostriches to the bear, and that'll keep the bear alive for another week. But, oh, man, I just don't know. He's looking at all these ledgers. He's looking at all these photos. He has the food chain posted up in his office, and he's like, I don't know. Can I feed the pandas to the panthers, or will they just become buddies and then attack me? I don't know. And he's thinking, wait a second, there's an easier way to do this. Instead of all the money I'm getting from being a huge celebrity and leveraging my fame to get some loans or investors, and yeah, nah, I'm not going to do that. I will fake my death. I'll tell everyone I got killed by a stingray, tell everyone I recorded it, and then not release the video. That won't be suspicious at all. So he faked his death and then uses the insurance money to fix the zoo. So the ostriches are like, whew, that was close. But the pandas and the panthers are looking at each other from their different cages, and they go, Some, someday we will unite. Someday we'll become the pan-pans. We will take over this land. But that was stopped that day. So that's conspiracy theory number one, that he faked his death to help pay for his zoo. February 2nd, 2009, I found a reference to this conspiracy theory, so a couple years later, that, it, that the zoo was doing fine. The zoo had no financial difficulties whatsoever. But Steve Irwin was getting sick and tired of the celebrity life. He's like, oh man, it sure does suck getting paid to do what I love. That's horrible. Who wants to do that? I would much rather just be a, this crazy dude running around the outback wrestling alligators off camera. The American dream or the Australian dream. So he fakes his death. And then disappears into the wilderness. To this day, some believe during a full moon, you can still see Steve Irwin punching ostriches. But that doesn't really work either. That's not a super compelling conspiracy theory. Because it would require him to leave his family behind and everything like that. 
in 2018, so we have a pretty big time jump. And I think the reason why is because it was huge news at the time, obviously. He was a big celebrity at the time. But there's probably a good chunk of you guys who are like, who's Steve Irwin? Like, or like me, I have it, I had a passing knowledge of him at the time. I knew of him more as a cultural icon. I'd never had watched the show. I couldn't tell you the theme song or anything like that. This is one of those celebrity deaths that just kind of disappears. It's not like Elvis Presley that's like... He's definitely very important to the people who loved him, but as a cultural icon, I think that the memory is faded. So in 2018, we see a Reddit thread on the writer's prompt, and it's like, they put forward the... It's not even conspiracy theory, but because it was a writer's prompt, trying to get people to, to write stuff about this. Steve Irwin faked his own death to pursue his true passion, hunting cryptids. So that is, I think that one could have more staying power. Again, Steve Irwin, I think that his cultural cachet is kind of, or cultural cash, I think it's cachet. Anyways, his cultural power has waned. That one actually, I could see people believing that one. If someone had put that one forth very early on, that might have worked. But the financial hardship would be an easy one to prove or disprove. And then again, he was a quite successful media personality. He wouldn't have a hard time getting investors or loans if his business wasn't running. So, But we have this writer's prompt saying that. So so why am I going through all of this stuff? We've talked about celebrity deaths before. Miley Cyrus, Avril Lavigne, uh, Elvis Presley. I don't think we've ever talked about Elvis Presley in particular. But you've heard about fake celebrity death. Michael Jackson, Tupac Shakur, who I did not believe was dead. For the first seven years, I say he's faking it. He's fake. I 100% believe Tupac was alive. It's like seven-day theory. He's going to come back in seven years. He's totally, he's not dead. I 100% believe Tupac was alive. So I get why people believe in these theories because you love these guys, right? Tupac was like, oh, like I love Tupac. I've made my peace with it now. But for the first seven, for the first seven years, 365 times seven, that's how many days I did not believe Tupac was dead. Honestly, not ironically, I honestly believed he faked his death. I get why these things last. I get why these conspiracy theories last. But this is common. So why would I be talking about this? It's on the iceberg, so we like to cover stuff on the iceberg. Hats off to some weirdo on Twitter, a.k.a. Jack, for putting together the iceberg Excel sheet. But there's an interesting little footnote to this story, and that's why I wanted to cover it. In 2015, Bindi Irwin, his daughter, was on Dancing with the Stars. So she's a minor. She was 17 years old at the time. And to be on Dancing with the Stars, well, really to sign any, any contract, it's not just a U.S. government law saying to be on Dancing with the Stars, you must have this. If you're a minor, you have to get permission from your parents. Her mother signed off on it. So at this point, Steve had been passed away for nine years, and it was, again, a very famous celebrity death. I mean, it was all over the news. But when she gets the paperwork to get processed to be on Dancing with the Stars, the judge does not accept it. Doesn't accept it. Because the father's signature isn't on there. People are like, what? You know who her dad is, right? Like, he's been dead for nine years. It's very, very famous celebrity death. The ju- This is how it was written. This was on TMZ. They were reporting this. This is how it was written. The judge said, without proof of Steve giving up his rights to Bindi's money, the court is unable to find that it is in the best interest of the minor to be bound by the terms of the contract. And then this quote continues. It's unclear if the judge is unaware Steve died in 2006 or if she's just a stickler for a death certificate. That That's a weird thing. It did get solved. She did get onto Dancing with the Stars. But it's kind of interesting to think that 
If this conspiracy theory was still alive in 2015, this would have been a, a huge thing. This would have been a massive thing. They're like, so the court is basically saying that there's no proof that Steve Irwin's dead. That's not re- it's interesting because it's not really what they're saying, but it's like the judge is saying, I need to see proof that he's dead. We know that she got on Dancing with the Stars. I don't know where she placed. That's another show I don't watch, but we know that she got on Dancing with the Stars, but it's interesting that that would be like that would be like asking for Michael Jackson's death certificate or Tupac's death certificate. It was a highly highly publicized death. Unless this judge was Doogie Hauser, like straight judging at the age of 16, she should have been aware of it. So if this was an active conspiracy theory, I think this really would have reignited it. Instead, it's really a footnote, and I just stumbled across it on my, you know, fourth quarter of researching this story. I was doing all this stuff, looking for these old links. How far back could I trace a conspiracy theory? And I came across that, and I go, that's interesting. So apparently she did show the judge a death certificate, or it got solved in some way. But the fact that the judge was questioning it could mean that the judge doesn't own a television, never reads magazines is Dewey Hauser's age, or that they didn't believe that Steve Irwin was dead in the first place. An interesting little footnote to an otherwise fairly mundane and normal conspiracy theory. Celebrities dying, we never want to believe that they're dead. Maybe even a judge is wondering, hmm. And then, as the judge gets the death certificate, she's like, okay, and signs off on the paperwork, and then she walks into her office, and someone in the court's like, what? That's weird. Look. And they see underneath the judge's robes, they see a little stingray tail. Uh, spooky. It's supposed to... The, the implication is that the stingray was the judge. You guys got that The judge is... They're like, um, your honor, why do you have to be in that tub? Why do you have to be in that giant tub of water? Blah, blah, blah. Need paperwork. It's just floating there. That's why judges' robes are so flowing, so they can hide their stingray-esque bodies. But you didn't know that. I put that on the conspiracy theory iceberg. All judges are actually stingrays. Claire, let's go ahead and leave this courthouse before all the aquariums break. We get overrun. It's up to the Pan Pans to save us. Hopefully, the Panther Panda Alliance can stop these stingrays from taking over the planet. But we got more important stuff to do. We got more important stuff to do because I got to tell you another story. Let's go ahead. Claire, I want you to call in that carpenter copter. It's hovering over the main street. We're climbing up ropes real quick as this huge melee is breaking out. We are headed out to Termekistan. And while we're headed out to Termekistan, I turn to you, I turn directly to you, and I'm looking right at you. Not you, Claire. Claire, just keep flying the helicopter. Keep flying the helicopter. Don't look at me. But everyone else, I'm looking at you. And I say, new today on digital. Anne Heche and Thomas Jane star in the gripping psychological thriller, The Vanished. Directed by Peter Facinelli, a family vacation takes a terrifying turn when two parents discover that their young daughter has vanished without a trace. Stopping at nothing to find her, the search for the truth leads to a shocking revelation where nothing is what it seems in this intense thriller. Own or rent The Vanished on digital today and watch it at home tonight. Rated R from Paramount Pictures. We're flying away from the courthouse. We are headed out to Termekistan. We're going back to the year 2009. We see a house We're going to land by it. We're specifically headed to a town called Mary in Turmekistan. At this point, it is part of the Soviet Union. It is part of the USSR. 
And we are flying that helicopter nice and low so we don't get the attention of any service to air missiles. Claire, I really hope you know how to fly this thing. She's like, I don't. I, of course I don't. I'm not a helicopter pilot. But somehow she miraculously lands that helicopter. We are safe and sound. Thank you so much, Claire. There we're going to meet a woman named L. Maslovskaya. She's 45 years old. She's at home with her family. Now we know about this story. She wrote a couple letters to the newspaper, and this, and this story was eventually talked about in a book called The Other Life by Vladimir G. Azhaza. This is an interesting story because it crosses the line between Close Encounter and Poltergeist. And I'm honestly surprised we don't see this more often, so this story really kind of stuck out to me. We're going to meet a woman named El Maslavaskaya. We're going to call her Lori, because I can pronounce that. And it's easy to remember. So Lori, she's 45 years old, and she's at home with her family. They're having a good old time. And then, <laughs> that's not that's not worth talking about on Dead Rabbit Radio. It's just a normal day. One night, though, she's up by herself. She's walking through her lonely house. Everyone's asleep. She looks down the hallway, and she sees a humanoid figure standing at the end of the hallway. It's just for a second, right? And you guys know that feeling. You guys may not have seen that. But when you look down that empty hallway, you imagine, what if I saw someone on the end of that hallway? She sees this figure at the end of her hallway and then pssst, disappears in a flash of light. Definitely a terrifying experience, but two months pass, so it just kind of gets lost in her brain. She's not really thinking about it. Two months pass. She begins to hear a voice in her head. I want your daughter. I want your daughter. Obviously, you'd think maybe I'm having some sort of intrusive thought. Maybe I'm going crazy. Why is something saying they want my daughter? The voice was specifically referring to Lori's three-year-old daughter. She doesn't really know how to process it. Obviously not. But things get even weirder when her children are just sitting there playing with their toys and they hear, Mommy, did you, did you beam something into my head? I hear a voice in my head. Mommy. Like, what did the voice say? The daughter looks up and goes, That it wanted me. That it wanted me. The children are hearing this voice in their heads. So Lori now knows it's not, it's not that she's simply going crazy. The, voices, the voice starts giving very specific commands. And it's giving them to the mother. It's giving them to Lori and the daughters. Even though the messages seem to really be directed at the three-year-old daughter. The voices command the three-year-old daughter to wake up at midnight and walk into the middle of the street because the aliens would be there to take her home. Now, the mother obviously isn't going to let this happen. She's telling her daughter, you can't walk out on the street. It doesn't matter what the voices tell you. You can't walk out on the street. The aliens are telling them that they want to take her to their home planet called Solig, and they're refusing to let the daughter walk out into the street. At that point, the voice gets irate, and begins threatening the family. It specifically threatens, if you don't give us your daughter, we're going to burn your apartment down with laser beams. So Lori packs up her kids. She goes to the neighbor's house, and she's like, hey, guys, I'm not going to tell you why we're here. Just let us in your house, because our house is super spooky right now. We're kind of afraid laser beams might be coming. They're like, what? They're like, can we just spend the night? And they're like, yeah, sure. Lori and her kids stayed at the neighbor's, and while they're at the neighbor's house, Let her out. Let your daughter walk outside. Do it. Do it. Lori and her kids are just looking at each other. The voices are still there. It's not location specific. 
At this point, they're like, well, if we're going to get blown up, if aliens are going to come and get us, we might as well come and get us at our own place. Obviously, if we go somewhere else, it's not going to change anything. So they do go back to their own house, and they start to get what would normally be considered, out, out of this alien contact, would be considered poltergeist activity. Electronics are getting messed up. Television's changing channels. They're smelling strange odors in different rooms. But then you get back into the... That, that's all very ghost-like. Then you get back into the alien-level stuff. Their lampshades are burned. On the edges of them, they're burned. And the voices are saying, that was our laser beam. We're burning your lampshades to send you a message. Which, in that case, I'd be like, well, that, that's going to take like 10 years to burn down in my apartment. If your laser beam can singe a lampshade, it's going to take a while for you to take down my apartment. They begin to be troubled constantly. 24-7, they're having this issue. Lori said even when they closed their eyes, they could perfectly see images being transmitted into their brain. Now, the voices in their head is no longer an alien voice. It can actually imitate the voice of the other people in the house. So Lori could be sitting there, and she could hear her daughter's voice say, Mommy, I want to go outside. Let me outside at midnight, Mommy. So it's trying to trick everybody. She also noticed during this whole thing, her children actually started to regress mentally. Now, she had two daughters. She had a three-year-old and 11-year-old. I should have said that earlier. She didn't have like 50 kids with her. She had a three-year-old and 11-year-old. And she said her children started to act like babies. It was almost like they were mentally regressing during this whole time period, which honestly would make sense. One, people who go through trauma, especially children, a lot of times can regress mentally. But also, if something's trying to control their behavior, what's easier to control, an 11-year-old or a baby? Even a 3-year-old versus a baby. Like, if you can reduce their mental capacity. And actually, now that I think about it, it's interesting. She could probably view them until they were acting younger. But I wonder if someone outside the house, I wonder if Lori was acting younger as well. Who knows? Like, she could have also been mentally regressing but not have noticed it. But she, it's her and her two daughters there, and she's starting to notice this stuff. At one time, she's driving home. And the 11-year-old's sitting there, and she goes, Mommy, Mommy, they're offering to give us a lift. And she's like, what? What are you talking about? They're just driving down the highway. Mommy, Mommy, they're going to give us a shortcut home. What? What are you talking about? And at that point, her 11-year-old daughter points up, and there's a UFO high in the sky following them home. At this point, right, at this point, she's like, listen, my kids are becoming idiots. I might be, too. I don't know. I, there's no one to tell me whether or not I'm acting super young. What in the world's going on here? She starts writing letters to the local newspaper saying, I'm hearing voices. My whole family's hearing voices. People are threatening to blow us up with laser beams. We're being followed home by UFOs. Why are they following us home? They know where we live. They're constantly trying to abduct us. The newspaper actually seemed to take these letters very seriously because they interviewed a psychiatrist. They brought in a psychiatrist, and they had him look at the letters, and they go, so what do you think if somebody is having these type of delusions? And the psychiatrist goes, oh, that's easy answer. We uh, locked the whole family up in a psych ward. All of them. Even three-year-old? Yeah, especially the three-year-old. Let's put them all in a psych ward, because they're all nuts. That's the ending of this story. It's interesting because it was, this happened in 1990. It was reported in that book, The Other Life, in 1998. So there's an eight-year time span. But the story ends with the psychiatrist saying we should lock them up. We've covered quite a few stories that have come out of uh, the Soviet Union before the fall of the Berlin Wall. They don't usually end well. A lot of times the KGB shows up 
the state secret police shows up at some point. We've covered I, we covered that one story. I believe we covered it where the guy saw a UFO and people are like, "Don't tell anyone. Do not tell anyone you saw this because the KGB are going to show up." And then like ten years later, the KGB showed up and they're like, "Hey, we heard ten years ago you got abducted by a UFO." And the, he was a kid at the time. Now he's an adult. He's like, "I have no idea what you're talking about." And everyone in the village is like. <laughs> okay, good move, good move, because they don't take kindly to these stories. We didn't really get UFO stories out of the Soviet Union until the fall of the Berlin Wall. So you have that. You have the chance that this story, this woman reported it in the media, and then one day she got a knock on her door, and it was KGB, and they said, well, we'd like to interview your family. We can offer you some treatment. And these people just disappeared. It's also possible, we can be a little optimistic, that Nothing happened. The voices eventually went away. No laser beams were directed at this house. Everyone survived, and the girls grew up, and the mom moved on, and all of that stuff. But there's always this conclusion. How long could you put up with that type of behavior? This is something that we look at when we talk about gang stalking. They're constantly being pushed to the edge to do something. That's their fear. But this is this is voices being beamed, not into only your head but the heads of your family members, to the point that they're suffering psychological problems because of this. How long could you resist those commands? You're a single mother taking care of two daughters, and these voices are commanding you to let one of those daughters just walk out into the street and be taken away. A horrifying thought for any parent. But if there's no earthly remedy for that, Even with your eyes closed, you're still being tormented. Your house is being destroyed. These voices are being beamed into your head. You find your family suffering mentally. How long could you resist before you sat there and started to weigh the pros and the cons? All they want is my three-year-old daughter. We've been suffering from this for months, and it can end tonight at midnight if I just give them my three-year-old daughter. We obviously, in a state of sanity, would say, well, I would never make that deal. I would never, ever make that deal. That's abhorrent. But after constant physical aggression, mental torture, and watching your children go through the same thing, would you still make that decision? Would you still say, no, I'm going to hold on one more day and hope things are better? But when you wake up the next morning... The first thing you hear is, we just want your daughter. How long could you put up with that level of mental intrusion? Hopefully, Lori held on and the aliens moved to another victim. But we'll never know. The story simply ends. It could end with them still in a mental institution somewhere in Termekistan, just lost in the system. It could end with them being a happy family who is able to overcome this alien threat. Or it could end with a mother and her one daughter still to this day trying to pick up the pieces from that alien assault. Still to this day trying to deal with the fact that one day the mother broke and she let the three-year-old daughter walk out into the street. And just when they hope that everything is over, just when they hope that everything is done, That 11-year-old daughter, today, she would be in her 40s. She would be around her mother's age when this all happened. Maybe she spent those last few decades trying to forget her sister had ever even existed. It made the pain less 
raw if she forgot that her sister existed. She moved on and had her own family and forgot about the horrors and that decision her mother made. But she is a mother herself now. And despite all attempts to forget, one day the memory is brought back when she hears a voice in her head asking for her child to be marched out into the street at midnight. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Peace.